Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to worship you in the word. We ask you to guide and lead and, and show us what you would want us to see from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 8. We're going to be starting at verse 26. We, we've, last week we talked about how the church had been driven out of Jerusalem except for the apostles. Philip the deacon had gone to Samaria. He started a, a pretty big church out there. He says everybody was following him uh, and listening to him. And then in verse 26 we get a very interesting uh, development. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south and to the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of the Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, uh, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go near and join yourself to his chariot. And Philip ran there to him and heard him read of the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand you what you read. And he said, How can I except a man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit next to him. I want to stop there because there's a few things interesting in here. Philip has a very big ministry starting up. And the spirit says leave <laughs> and this is something that's always kind of struck me very funny is everything is going well he is building a big church everything's going strong uh, that would be the time when you would think you don't leave <laughs> a ministry and the spirit says go and this place that he's going to go is approximately 40 miles southwest of samaria right he's going straight down and there's a desert road that runs from Gaza to uh, Jerusalem and it kind of winds its way but it does a little bit of a, a, a loop down in the desert area and God says okay I want you to leave Samaria where you have something really big going on and you're going to go down to this desert road now many people would have said but God we've got you know I've got so many things going on here we I preach I preach every day and the people are listening and and everything but here we have a very obedient individual who goes and does what he says he takes a 40 mile trip <laughs> roughly depending on, depending on where he meets him on this road it's at least a 40 it's a 40 mile as the crow flies all right, so he didn't go that way. He'd have had to gone to Jerusalem and follow the road, or he'd have to come down the, down the uh, Mediterranean to where the road meets, meets at Gaza and then come up and meet him. So he's, he's not walking straight. So he's making a two- or three-day trip from his great ministry down into this area to meet. It doesn't show it on the map. You have to go into deeper maps. <laughs> uh, and he goes down to this desert road, and it says he arose and went there. All right? Doesn't say that he argued with God. Doesn't say that he disagreed with God. Doesn't say he, you know, did anything. He just left it in charge of somebody and went away to do what, it, what God told him. And this is something for us to always be aware of. God does not always do what we think is best. Because it could have been really easy for Philip just to say, God, you've got to be nuts. I'm, you know, 
I've got this great big ministry. Uh, you're, using me, you're using me in a big way, and you want me to leave? And we want to be careful of this. When we know God is saying something, we go. And who does he meet? It says he meets an Ethiopian eunuch of great authority. All right, we find out that he's the treasurer of the queen's treasury. Very powerful individual. And that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. This is a little key point on here. This means that he is either a Jewish individual by birth who is a, in, in Queen uh, Candace's court or he's a proselyte. But one way or the other, he's a Jew. He went to Jerusalem to worship, most likely for a Passover or something of that nature. And he went up there. So this is something that most people overlook. You know, it is very funny to me that this, with this event in the scripture, the first missionaries that went to Ethiopia were surprised to find a church. That's what I always thought. You guys didn't read your Bible. You didn't know that some key individual... When, you know, got saved when he went to Ethiopia. You think he just didn't tell anybody? All right. Uh, but they were surprised. The first ones were surprised to find a church in Ethiopia. Uh, they were surprised to find a church in, in Egypt. You know, it's just mind-boggling, you know, these missionaries that didn't know their Bibles when they went to these places. Um, but this man is returning. He's sitting in a chariot reading Isaiah. And the spirit goes to Philip. He says, go up there and join him. Now, this chariot wasn't racing along at full bore. I mean, he's on a gentle, he's got a long ways to go. And he's just, you know, he's, he's an important person. It's kind of an amazing thing that Philip could get near him because I would imagine this guy has great authority. He's not alone. Yeah, there's, I mean, they don't say anything about it. But this man is a politician for all practical purposes. And people high up in politics have never gone anyplace alone. So there, there's some guard, even if it's just one. <laughs> and it says he had great authority. So there's probably a good group of people with him. And Philip's able to go up near, close enough to him to actually hear him read. And he goes up and he hears him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he goes, a real simple question, real interesting way. And we can do these kind of things when people are looking at scripture. Are you understanding what you read? And the guy goes, you know, how can I? You know, I, I have not, I've got no teacher here to teach me. I'm trying to understand. And, you know, this is how, if you think back before you were Christian, or you hear it all the time from non-Christians, I try to read the Bible, but I can't understand it. And without the Holy Spirit giving us understanding and without teachers giving us understanding, the Bible can be just a bunch of words. And all of us can remember it even before we got saved probably when we'd go and go, this, nothing about this makes sense. How can any of this, you know, you know oh yeah, there's some good stories, but what, what's the big deal out of it? Why are people making a big deal out of it? This is the Ethiopian eunuch. It's amazing that he even has a copy of the scriptures in the first place. Now, this is a, one of the scrolls of a prophet, but you know, this tells us how rich he is. He was able to afford 
a copy of the scriptures to go with him when he heads back. And we kind of think it's so simple because how many of us have four, five, six Bibles at our home? Uh, and again, that is a very recent event that people could afford Bibles. Before the Gutenberg Press, you had to be very wealthy, and it took them a year or so to write your version of the Bible once it was ordered. So you would order your Bible, and they'd, they'd handwrite it out, and a year later, you'd get your Bible. So this is a time when it was very expensive, very, you had to be wealthy to get it, or you had to have the patience to write your own copy at the temple, and he has a copy of Isaiah. And again, one of these things we don't really think about. You know, that this is a special event. This is, you know, God in the Pentateuch said, when you get a king, the king is to write out his own copy of the Pentateuch. Now, as far as we know, no king ever did. No king ever wrote his own copy of the Pentateuch and had his own copy out there. But God said, you're to write it. Matter of fact, we get to, I think it was Josiah, and they had totally lost all copies of the Bible until they cleaned out the temple. And they made a big deal when they, got, they found the Bible, the, the Pentateuch. <laughs> and they started reading it and going, uh, we've got problems. <laughs> we're not living the way we're supposed to be living. <laughs> uh, because they were living by word of mouth. And by remembering, and they're going, oh, we have a problem here. This man is reading the scriptures, and he goes, I cannot, and you know, it's kind of interesting, There's, I don't know if this gives us the whole conversation between the two of them, but all of a sudden we see that he says, except the man guide, guide me, and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Did the Holy Spirit tell him that he could, under, that Philip was special and could understand it? Did, there was there more to the conversation as Philip some kind of trodden alongside of the, of it and goes, you know, I know, I know what this is about. And he said, come on up. We don't know. There's not enough here. And, and we've got to remember the scriptures doesn't give us every single word that's been spoken. It doesn't always give us every detail of what it is. But for some reason, the Ethiopian eunuch says, come on up and tell me about what is going on. Yeah. And this is, should be our view of, of scripture. If we don't understand something, we need to go find somebody that can help us understand it. But it's even more important is as we learn the scriptures that we start sharing with others what we know. Because this is important. As we are being discipled, as we are being taught, we need to share that with other people so that they can grow. And this is something that we're going to see. All right, verse 32. And the place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb... Dumb before his shears, so open he not his mouth. In his humiliation and his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you, of whom speaks the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? In case you don't know what he's reading, he's reading Isaiah 53. All right? He is reading from Isaiah 53, the particular verse that he's quoting is Isaiah 53, 7. And all of Isaiah 53 is a picture of Jesus. 
And Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as, the, as a sheep before his shears was dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression, and for my people he was stricken. And this is all about, and then it goes on to say, in verse 10 of Isaiah 7, it says, And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put on him the grief, and who, when you, you shall make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So we see here, and this is a great verse. If you want to see the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 is that place to do. Um, Verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for, of our peace was upon him, and, and with his stripes we are healed. We, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned every man to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All right? This is a beautiful verse, and this is the section <laughs> that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading. The greatest picture of Jesus who has just died and resurrected no more than a year or two earlier than this, and he gets to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch opens the door. Now, he reads in the scripture and says, who is this man talking about? Is this prophet talking about himself, or is it somebody else? Because he doesn't, I mean, there's nothing in there you know, to tell us who he's, who he's talking about. The context of it doesn't really tell us who he's talking about. It just, we know, looking back, that this is Jesus. We know that he's the one that took our sins. He's the one that, that paid. He's the one that the Father put on the cross and had, us, had him take all of our sin and, and, and debt for him. And... The Ethiopian eunuch does not know this. He has just come to Jerusalem to worship. He has not come to meet Jesus. Did he even know about Jesus? I kind of doubt that he really knew about Jesus. He's, he lives 100 miles, 150, 200 miles away. I, can't, I, never, I didn't figure out the distance from it, but you know, he's going to travel 100 miles just to get to Jerusalem, and then he's going to go another 100, uh, excuse me, to Egypt, and he's going to go another 100 miles or so to get into Ethiopia. So he's traveling a long ways, probably has never heard of Jesus, doesn't know about the crucifixion, doesn't know about the resurrection at this point in time. It's been a, been a year or so, you know, at least one year or so. So all of the hubbub is kind of died away. It's still a big deal for those in that area. It's probably the, the rumors going on, but he just went there to worship and come back. He doesn't know all about this. And then it says, And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. All right? And so this is something he tells him all about Jesus. Now, this is the Philip that was chased out. He's a deacon. He's chased out of, out of Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria of all places, starts a big church. God tells him to go back down to the south and meet this guy. Uh, we're going to be told later on in Acts, uh, Acts 28, I believe it is, that he has a nickname called Philip the Evangelist. All right? 
So he starts out as Philip the deacon, <laughs> and then he's got a gift of evangelism. Wherever he goes, he seems to be able to teach about Jesus. And you know, I don't know if anybody has ever met a real evangelist. I mean, I'm not talking to these guys that wander around churches and preach. Some of them are good, some of them are not. But you meet somebody who's got truly blessed and gifted to be an evangelist, and it is fun to watch. I went out to lunch one time with an evangelist, and he gave the witness of, the, of Jesus probably a hundred times. If I had given it a hundred times, it would have sounded so false and so, so, so uh, contrived, but he was able to just naturally give it. He talked to everybody in line while we waited to be seated. He talked to the bussers as they walked by. He talked to the waitress. He talked to the people around us. He talked to anybody who would give him three, you know, a minute to talk to. He talked to them about Jesus. I have, I have been with other people who think they're evangelists, and it's like, you know, you don't even know what it means to be evangelist. You know, this guy was gifted, and I think this is who Peter, uh, who, yeah, who Peter, who Philip was. He was one who understood what it meant to be an evangelist. He opened his mouth and he talked about Jesus. I don't have that gift. <laughs> you know, I can give the gospel. The Holy Spirit can get hold of me at times and, and do the gospel. I know, the, I know how to present it, but I in no way think that I am gifted to be an evangelist. I do my job. I testify. I, I give testimony. But Philip just all of a sudden opens up says, oh, you want to know about this person? This, let's start at this verse. <laughs> and he starts at this verse and probably goes to Genesis 3.15 and, and a whole, whole, all the scriptures, just as Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus went from Genesis through the prophets and said, these are all the verses about me. I would think that would be one of the greatest lessons to be able to go through and listen to Jesus say, here are the verses about me. Because every time I read through the scriptures, I see more verses about him. And go, oh, here's one I've never noticed before. Here's one I've never noticed. I don't think Jesus would have missed any. <laughs> um, he's talking to them for the entire trip. All about the gospel message. And, you know, if you can just think about Jesus. I would, you know, Jesus being your teacher for the entire walk. They started early in the day and they go walking until evening time. An eight, ten hour session with Jesus, even if it was six, between six and ten hour session of Jesus teaching them what the Old Testament said about him, that would be, you know, if you have a hunger for the word of God, you know, it is wonderful to be taught for a long time. Uh, I have been in events where the thing was all day long and the word of God was being taught and the, and the teacher was a good teacher and it just drew you in and you were hungry and it was wonderful and I had a lot of fun with it. And I've never been in a place where I've had been drawn out longer than, longer than I could want to teach. I always stop long before I think <laughs> I'm ready to teach, you know, in, but but usually trying to be respectful. If we're going to be here an hour, I try to go an hour. Uh, but, you know, this is very important for us. There are times when we need to have that hunger and say, I just need it. 
And you know, there are places in the world, if you go to teach, they don't get enough. My dad went someplace one time and he said they kept wanting him to teach. They flew in, they'd had a long flight in, they preached until midnight and the people still wanted him to go. And they go, no, we're tired, we've got to sleep. They started the next morning at six o'clock in the morning and went till midnight the next night, uh, that night, and they still didn't want him to stop. Why? Because they were hungry for the word. The sad thing in America, most of the times, we don't have that same hunger for the word in most cases. We have such freedom and yet, and, and such acquisition of the word, and yet we don't have this great hunger for the word. And, you know, it's kind of a sad thing. And I do know that, you know, it's something that takes getting there for. I'm getting to the place where I have that hunger. When I'm driving, I want to be taught. I want to hear stories. I want to be taught. I want to know what's going on. I, I've got some channels that are marked that are Christian music. They're on my radio. I don't hardly ever use them. I'm almost always listening to some form of Bible teaching uh, on my radio because I need to be fed. You know, and I recognize that I need to be fed because I don't want to fall into the place that I only understand what I know. But, you know, I don't want to fall into the place where I only know what I know. I, want, sometimes I don't always agree with all the teachers that I hear. And sometimes they say something and go, well, that sounds right, but I've got to do some research. And I you know, write down real quick something that they said and what verse they were on and go back and research it. But, you know, we need to be taught beyond what we can learn. It is very important for us to have this teaching, you know, because there are many people that go, I just, especially those who teach, I know it. And if you get that arrogant, you're in trouble. Uh, because, number one, I, the more that I have walked with God, the more I realize I don't know anything that I've ever thought that I know or I don't know it deep enough. And this is the interesting thing. I study and I get to study these things that I think I know, and God shows me the next level of what I'm studying. And this is very important for us. There's always a deeper level that God wants to show us, always. Because he is so much above us, so much deeper than we are, and this is his word. You know, it is not man's word, and the more we study it, the more we realize it is not man's word it's all authored by God. It all interla interlaces a book that was written over 1,400 years by 40 different authors from all kinds of different education backgrounds, and it doesn't have any problems in it, and all interleaves and interacts with each other in perfection. It's funny the way it intertwines with our lives, too. Yes. You read something in the morning and during the day, you go, oh, yeah. And God preparing you for exactly what you need for that day. And, you know, I was listening over the last couple of days and all the preachers are talking about the same exact thing, which kind of scares me when they're all talking about the same exact thing. Because it's like, okay, God, what, <laughs> what are you preparing me for? Uh, you know, what is going on? But, you know, this is a really interesting time in our lives. God has got something coming up for us. You know, 
Uh, we have a big election coming up that could make, turn our country on its ears. And what does God have in, uh, you know, up, up his sleeve, up his arms for it? You know, it's, uh, what is he getting ready to put us through? He could give us a nice easy time for, for a little while, or he could have it all turned upside down. But you know, even if he turns it upside down, just as he did in Jerusalem, the church went out and shared it with other people. And this is the good news. No matter what God does, it is going to result in something good for the kingdom. And this is the beauty of what we look at. When we think everything is, is looking bad and dark and, and awful, Jerusalem is the key here in, in, in uh, Acts, but we're being, we're being attacked. We can't keep our church here. What are we going to do? Well, you might obey God when he said to go out into Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world, which is what they did. <laughs> you know, God had to make them do that because they were happy just sitting back and saying, here we are, we've got our Jewish, Jewish believers, we're in Jerusalem, we're building a big church, we're having a good old time, all the disciples are here, they were taught by Jesus, we're going to have a good time teaching everybody right here. And God says, uh, excuse me, I said to start in Jerusalem and then move. And so God says, okay, you don't want to leave Jerusalem. I am going to make things so bad in Jerusalem that you must leave Jerusalem. Sometimes God has to kick us in the butt to get us to move because we're not listening to him. We talked this morning about being servants. It takes a while for us to learn to hear God's voice and to go out and do the good servant is so attentive to their master that the master never has to say anything. A perfect servant is right there the moment that they are needed. Now, uh, one of the best things about if you go to a really good high-end restaurant where the waiters and waitresses have been trained, they're th you don't even have to look. You don't have to. All you have to almost do is be thinking that you need something. And they're so attentive that they're there when you're just starting to think about it because they have been well-trained, well-experienced. God is waiting for us to get to that point where we know him well enough that we can just respond without him even having to speak or force us to go forward. That takes time, it takes effort, and it takes willingness to submit and humble ourselves to do his will. Jesus, in his entire walk, four years of ministry, was always doing the Father's will. He would get up early in the morning and spend time in prayer. Then he'd go wander all day serving people. And then he'd end the day in prayer. <laughs> uh, you know, is that the way we are? And unfortunately, it's not the way I am most of the time, unfortunately. But you know, are we ready to listen to him, to serve him? You know, Philip left a thriving ministry work to take a couple-day trip 
to go and meet with this Ethiopian eunuch, and he didn't even know who he was going to meet. He's just walking along, and here's this guy reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said, go, go close to him and listen to what he's doing. And he was able to draw close enough to hear this message, and he goes, can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Can I tell you about what you're reading? And so they went through, and he's telling them all about Jesus. And verse 36, And as they went their way, they came unto a certain water, and the, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he was baptized. This is kind of an interesting statement. This is another reason that we know that he was either a Jew or a, a proselyte. He's been taught a new doctrine. And the first thing he sees is they come up to water, and he says, what? why can't I be baptized? Here's water. Why can't I be baptized? One of the things that we as Gentile Christians really don't understand you know, is baptism in its full aspect. Baptists are really strong on baptizing people. But even we don't really fully understand it for the most part because we will hear the statement of it's an outward expression of an inward change. And it is, but that is just the tip of the iceberg about what baptism is. Baptism is the death of an old way of thinking and being resurrected into a new way of thinking. It's what it has been for Jews for all of time. The Jew would go in, they were taught by one rabbi, and they would start going to another rabbi with some different doctrine, and they would listen to this new rabbi, and they would decide, I like this rabbi's teaching, and they would be baptized. And it was, I'm dying to my old way of thinking, and I'm being raised again to a new way of thinking. John the Baptist was not the first <laughs> baptizer in Jewish history. All right? He was just another rabbi, which is why when the, the Pharisees and the scribes came out to see John the Baptist, their question was, by whose authority are you baptizing? And what were they saying? Who authorized you to be a teacher? <laughs> right? This is often asked of certain teachers even in Christian churches. Who has ordained you? Who has said that you can be a pastor? Who has said that you have the skills? What school did you go to? What, where did you get your, your credentials? And that's what they were asking John the Baptist. That's what they asked of Jesus. Who gave you this authority? You know, and that's when Jesus turned it back on them. All right, I'll, I'll answer you if you will tell me, John, the, John, was he from God or was he from man? And they had a big trouble with that because they, didn't, they, they hated John the Baptist. And if they said he was from God, and they, they knew that he'd say, well, why didn't you listen to him? And if they said he was of men, there were lots of people that when John died, his disciples went to follow Jesus. Because John the Baptist had told them to follow Jesus anyway. He was pushing them on Jesus anyway. He says, this is the lamb. Go follow him. 
And he told his disciples, I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist had the right attitude for true missions. He was the forerunner of Christ. And he said when he found Christ, he says, go follow him. I'm a nobody. Go follow him. This is where we have to always be ready. If God brings somebody into a church or into a ministry and says, this is the next person in this ministry, we go, okay, I'm, not, I'm the nobody. God put me here for, what, for the time that I'm here. I've had people before this church, but I've had people go, well, I can do your job better than you can. I'm going, fine, you think you can? Go ahead. You know, if the church would let you take this position, be my guest, because I've got plenty of things that I can do. And if God was in this church to bring somebody along that's a better pastor and better, better suited for this work, I would step down and say, God, where, where do you want me now? Where, where's the next place you want me to be? Because I know, number one, that I'm not the greatest pastor in the world. I've got lots of problems. I can teach to a degree, but if there, there could be somebody that come along better than me, then God, you go ahead and teach, you teach them what you need and take me wherever you want me to go. And we all have to have that attitude. We're here for the duration that God puts us here. Philip was taken out of the middle of a big ministry. He's building a big ministry. It's getting big. It says everybody was following him in one accord. To go evangelize one. one. (laughs) And he doesn't know that this one is going to go start a church in, in Ethiopia. But he's sent to talk to one. How much does God love one? He was willing to take Philip from a big thriving church and say, go talk to the one. What will he do with us? Who knows? We need to listen to God. But God loves one as much as he loves hundreds. Philip had obviously done his job. He had trained some people so that he could leave that church and it was not going to die. It's been my purpose here to train other people so that if, like in a week and a half I can take a day off and you guys will still meet. Now none of you are quite ready to be recorded and put on the World Wide Web, but... <laughs> But we have people that are willing to at least teach our group. So I can take a time away and and know we're still okay. Philip had done his job. The church was going to survive. And God says, Philip, you're the head, but I'm taking you away. Now, I think Philip knew that he was going back, or thought he was coming back. Doesn't tell us whether he went back or not. All right? But this eunuch sees the water. He says, why can't I be baptized? I I like what you're teaching. And they go, as long as you believe, there's not a problem. We'll baptize you in the name of Jesus. And so they went down into the water. And the eunuch is baptized in the name of Jesus. And, you know, this is very important. We understand all through, especially Acts and everything, one of the first questions they always asked people when they were following something is, in whose name were you baptized? All right? And that is a clue to us of what they believed. The followers of John the Baptist, Baptist were baptized in his doctrine. His doctrine was repentance. It wasn't the full doctrine of heaven. His doctrine was 
Repent and be baptized. Follow God in repentance. Turn away from your sins. It was a very strong message, but it wasn't the full message. And we had various great rabbis in time that people would be baptized in their name. And so we see here, and now we see them being baptized in the name of Jesus. What does he teach? That he, in the name of Jesus, was the idea that he died for their sins, rose again for their sins, and there was no other way to heaven except by him, which is the purpose of baptism in the name of Jesus. That's what they were looking for. In Acts, many times they heard, they would hear, we were baptized in the baptism of John. When did Father, Son, and Holy Ghost come about? Um, it was what it says in several places in the scripture. That gets us into a huge debate. Uh, there's a huge debate because there's two sets of verses that talk about that. There's two verses that say that we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there's several that just say we're baptized in the name of Jesus. And they're all the same in actuality because we're baptized in the name of God. Uh, but there are denominations that will, if you didn't get baptized in the name of Jesus, you weren't baptized correctly. Other denominations say that if you weren't baptized in the name of, Je uh, the, name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you weren't baptized correctly. Uh, you know, this gets you into the whole legalism that follows into this, this battle. And I've seen people almost come to blows on this, on this difference between this. And it's like, uh, I can show you the scriptures on both sides of the coin. On one says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I can show you the two, two verses that say, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, huh? Yep. Oh, there's two, there's two verses out there that say that. And there are Christian denominations that they will just go ballistic. If you weren't baptized under the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you weren't baptized. And there's others that are just as strong the other way. If you weren't baptized in just the name of Jesus, you're, 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 you're wrong. You know what? If you're being baptized in anything to do with Jesus, you're going to be okay. <laughs> when I'm baptized, I die to my, to, my, to my old ways of living and I get resurrected into the to the life with God in through Jesus Christ, I'm going to be okay. Because that's all of what baptism's about. And like I said, we think, it, you know, the, the Christians will tell you what's, oh, baptism started when, you know, because it's Jesus. We died to, died to our old life and, die, and are resurrected, you know, into our new life. And yes, that is part of it, but that is what it's always been. Way back, even before Jesus came, that's what baptism was. I'm dying to my old way of thinking and living to a new way of thinking. And was it a foreshadowing of Jesus' life, life, burial, and resurrection? Probably. God put all kinds of wonderful things in place long before they actually happened. Uh, the word has always been out there. The Passover, the very acts of Passover show Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and yet, we're not there. And then when the Jews have added, do all kinds of things that we don't read in Scripture, we really see <laughs> Jesus in it. And one of these days, I'm probably going to try to get one of the, one of the Jewish people, peoples to come out here and do a Seder one time. And actually show us all the different things that they do 
that aren't even in the Bible, but they've been doing for millennia that show Jesus. You know, the children get to play a game where they take one of the three matzo crackers out of this bag and they take the middle one, hide it, and the children get to go look for the matzo cracker that's been hidden. And it's the middle one, Jesus, <laughs> who leaves, the, leaves the, the bag with the three crackers in it and they hide it so they've got to go out and find Jesus and bring him back. You know, uh, it's just, there's so many different things involved in all of this and you get one of these guys doing this and it's an amazing thing and I don't even remember all the details because I'm not Jewish I haven't done done these but there's little things that they've added to their seders over the years that aren't scriptural but it's like wow when we as Christians look at it we're going that's all about Jesus all about Jesus and we go through and we look at it God has put these pieces in place so that it's been known for a long time. Uh, it was known that God would have a, uh, come in the flesh and die. So what has happened over mythology, because Satan knew what was going on, the mythologies have all had this theme coming out that the gods have children that die and do, do miracles, so that when Jesus finally comes, we have sociologists and, and anthropologists saying, well, that's just the just another story, you know, it's just another story of Hercules, it's another story of this God, it's another story, you know, because if you look at the stories of Hercules, you see the picture of Jesus in the stories of Hercules, which came before Jesus. Why? Because Satan understood what was going to happen, because he understood what was going to come to a degree. He didn't fully understand it, but he he knew that God was going to come in the flesh and crush his head. He read the gospel in the stars. He understood what was going on, and he made counterfeits before the real one came along. And that's hard for us to get our, our, our minds around. God has so clearly told the story of Jesus, even before he came, that it could be counterfeited before he came. And said in Genesis 3.15 that the, the, he was going to come and crush the head of the serpent. You know, and we're not, we don't have time to get in this, but one of these times we're going to have to do a lesson on the gospel in the stars. The gospel message is completely in the stars. Starts at Virgo the Virgin, who gives birth and is still called the Virgin, who is then shown the duplicit, the two, two natures of the, that child, who then comes along and, and brings around salvation and crushes the serpent's head because the constellation Orion has, the, has his foot over the heel of the serpent that's ready to strike his heel and it's going to crush his heel. Uh, all the way around through Leo the Lion. So the gospel message is in the stars. <laughs> It's there. It's been there since creation. There's certain groups that have understood it. Have you under, ever wondered why all the constellations are the same in every nationality and every people group? Because God put them there and told man the constellations because there is nothing about those constellations that makes sense. Why would anybody call this little group of stars a man getting ready to strike somebody? There's only nine stars in the thing. <laughs> you know, there's a couple of them that only have three stars, and there's a huge, long... 
Well, even even that one though is we call it the little the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper, but their actual name is Eurasia. They're the bear or the dog. You know, we call them a dipper and they make some sense, but in reality, they're a bear and a dog. Asia Urza Minor and Urza Major, and they're a bear. Yeah, so, <laughs> but God put the message, and it's so interesting when they when they go, they they follow this they follow line from Virgo all the way around to Leo, the way they circle the Earth, starting with the birth of the, and going to His kingdom. The message has been there from the beginning of time, and. God probably taught Adam and Eve how to read the read the constellations and read the read the the gospel message when they told their children and they told their children and they told their children. We have to go back into the Babylonian and the Persian Persian uh, records of the stars to really understand the messages, but it's there. Satan understood what was coming. At least if God fulfilled it. And he knew God's going to fulfill it, you know, even though he's trying hard to not get it fulfilled. But it's in the stars. And the ancients understood. You know, they were sleeping out under the stars. And they would watch all the gospel message presented to them. And all of this comes down. It is not new. And this Ethiopian says, here's water. <laughs> I like what you're saying. And he goes, if you believe, if you truly believe, we can, we can go ahead and baptize you. And they get out of, the, out of the chariot, and they go down to the water. Now, how much water they're going to find in the middle of the desert, I don't know. It had to be an oasis or something that they've come to. But even there, most of those oases did not have real deep water. And they baptize him. And... Verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. It's a town on the, on the coast. Uh, Philip baptizes him. And the word used here for uh, caught away is arpazo. The spirit snatched him away, took him from the desert road, and placed him in Arzutu, which was somewhere about 20 or 30 miles away from the desert road, depending on where on the desert road he was. This is an interesting sentence. Yes, Enoch was, Enoch was caught away, and he says he was no more. Yeah. One of the first examples of a rapture. Right. Is Caesarea by the sea part of Samaria? Caesarea is, well, not even part of Samaria. God didn't even send him back to Samaria. Where does Samaria stop? On the east side of the coastal? Well, let me get my map out here, and we'll, if anybody has it. Um, Azutu is between Ashdod and Ascalon, right on the coast. Caesarea is 
not even on the coast. Uh, I didn't look it up. Where's Caesarea? It's not on this map. Huh? Well, I've given him. I've given this map out several times. <laughs> yeah, Caesarea is not on that map. So. Doesn't look so. Let me just find out exactly where Caesarea uh, map eight C two. Yeah. Yeah, it is in it is in very it's in the northern part of Samaria. So he did go back to Samaria. But uh and he said he preached in many cities until he got there. Yep. So he was back home, so to speak. Yeah, it is sixty miles trip up the coast. So everywhere he went he preached. For the sixty miles up the, the coast the coast highway. <laughs> He was in, depending on where in, where in Samaria he was at, it's going to be at least, if he was in the southern part of Samaria, it was still about 40 miles. And, and yeah, apparently he did not ride because he gets to sit in the, so he probably walked. I've never seen a chariot with seating arrangements. Um, I sometimes wonder if this chariot was a full chariot or more of a, you know, some chariots have large, large chariots where two or three people could get in. And this is a very important person, so he probably had a driver. Right. So he had a driver and room for two or three people. So Caesarea is way up in the northern part of Samaria. All right. Well, there's, the other problem is that there's three Samarias. <laughs> uh, in, this case, in this case, I'm sure it's the one in, in, in uh, Samaria. Uh, Caesarea, excuse me. There's three Caesareas in there. So from Gaza? That's where you meant the My map has disappeared. There's a road that goes from, from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's called the Desert Highway, and it's still there in a, in 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 uh, that area today, except now it's paved. Well, that's how I found it. It's Palestine and New Testament. Okay, so there's a road that goes from there to Gaza. Yeah. Somewhere on that road <laughs> is where they they met each other. Then he was Philip was translated from wherever they were on the road to Ashdod, basically. It's um, a little, little town on the coast. Yeah, that's not that's, that's a, that's a yeah. yeah it's, it's got two names as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's technically a suburb of the other town. Ash yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I don't have my map. My map disappeared, so. It's <laughs> oh, get back. <laughs> Ashdod, um, Ashdod. Ashdod, it's yeah. just outside of Ashdod. Um, and so he was translated and just moved. Yeah. So if he was in Gaza, we're still talking almost 30 miles. Yeah. 
and he's somewhere on the road between Gaza and Jerusalem. So who knows how far he actually has moved. You know, at certain places it would have been a nice short distance on a straight line. But the point of this is he, just, he lifts up the, the Ethiopian eunuch. He's standing in the water and Philip just disappears. <laughs> and he doesn't see Philip anymore. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, he's probably wondering, have I been taught by an angel? He's a Jew. You know, he's probably thinking, God sent me an angel to help me understand these words. In your translation, did you read the last part of 39? Uh, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went, away, went on his way rejoicing. Oh, oh, this one. And the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, which is the word harpazo. And where was that exactly? 39. The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no, no more. Harpazo is an H. Yes. Well, in Greek, there's no H's, but it would have a heavy breath mark. But use an H on it as you're writing it down. Um. Start with an H. <laughs> when we transliterate words, which is to make them into something English, uh, the actual word in, in Greek would be A-R-P-A-Z-O with a heavy breath mark, which we pronounce as an H. There's not an H in, in, in Greek, but they would put a mark in there that says breathe hard, and we go, <laughs> and we come out with the H. <laughs> So when you look it up, transliterated, it's probably going to be with the H. If you're going to go to the original dictionary, it's going to be in alpha. Okay. okay. Thessalonians, where the church is caught away, harpazo. Um, there's four or five places where harpazo is used. Yeah. It means literally to snatch away violently. Same word as Huh? Well, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Enoch was harpazoed out of the, out of the world, but not in the Hebrew version of it. But it means literally to snatch away in a violent, in a violent, with violence. So if I was to snatch your pen out of your Bible, it could be harpazo. I'm, I'm snatching it away before you can, can defend it. Okay. So, and this is the word that is translated into the uh, Latin Vulgate Bible as rapturo, and then is translated into English as rapture. <laughs> and so when people go, the word rapture is not in the Bible, they are right. It is not in the Bible. Harpazo is there, which is translated in the Latin as rapturo, the same word, snatch away, and then we anglicize the Latin Bible and say rapture. Well, take it in context. I don't really see a problem with that word. Uh, I don't know why so many people argue over it, what it really means. Because if you're going to believe, because most people are wanting to take away from the power of God in the first place. And the idea that the church is going to be snatched out of this world is a problem to people. 
is a problem to many people who don't want to believe the word of God. And, you know, and the same definition, the same problem we have when people go, well, the word Trinity is not in the scripture. You're right, the word Trinity isn't in the scripture, but boy, it sure shows us the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of them accept worship. All of them have, are, are given that they know everything. All of them are given as all-powerful and omnipresent. They are all God. And the idea of a Trinity, three distinct individuals that are one, is hard to comprehend, but it is what the Bible teaches. And you know what? I like the fact that there are things in the Bible that we can't fully understand. Because if I could understand everything that was in the Bible, I don't have a big enough, powerful enough God. And if I could do that, then I become God. Because I now understand everything there is to know. And I am glad that there are things that I can't figure out in the Bible like the Trinity. And, and I've studied the Trinity for many, many years and centuries, years. <laughs> and I still, don't, I still don't understand the Trinity completely. All right? I have looked at the, the power of law and grace, and I don't fully understand how both of those can be so completely understood by God and, and not have a problem. I don't understand how he can say that I'm elected and predestined and yet I have a free will. All right? I don't understand many things in the Bible. All I know is God says it and it's true. And I just have to say, God, you're smarter than I am. You can figure out how these work out without having a contradiction. Because it's tough. There are things that are tough to understand. You know, God, how, how in the world can you know things and be sovereign and everything works the way you want it to work and yet I have a free will? Now, part of it is that he knows the beginning from the end. But you know what? He also has times when he says, this is what's going to happen. All right, Philip, you did what I want. Now I'm going to take you away and... You know, and I just love the way, the way it says, uh, and Philip found himself in yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah>. Azatus. <laughs> it's like, okay, uh, God, I was in the middle of the desert. What am I doing in the middle of this town? And as he's headed back up the coast, <laughs> he says, okay, I don't, know, I don't know what I'm doing down here, but I'm just going to preach all the way back to, when I get back to Samaria, <laughs> I'll preach on my way up there. I got 60 miles to go back to you know, Caesarea, and it doesn't tell us that's where he started, but you know, this is where he's going to end up. And back, back about 60 miles to go, go to Caesarea. I can't see how what you think God probably was speaking to him. You were done, you're done with the Ethiopian, now go back to Caesarea. Well, that was just it. Two events. The only thing that we know that he was told was go to this road. Go to this road. And you figured you just had a whole entourage with him. Yeah. 
And why he even approached this, uh, you know, the, the Spirit of the Lord said, go, go, go talk to this man. But that's out of the two, out of all the events that he's going to, just, the, just those two, I mean, you're right, it would be nice. But you know, have we developed an ear to hear when God speaks? Most of us have not developed that ear. Sometimes I wonder if he would speak audibly if we were more obedient to him. Most of us aren't obedient enough to draw close to him, enough to, for him to say, okay, you've been obedient, now I'm going to speak directly to you. you know, we had Moses directly spoken to, from what we can tell. We had Noah being directly spoken to. I think part of our problem is that we do not expect God to speak to us audibly because in this day and age what you will hear is God told me well I didn't hear an audible voice you know trying to defend you know I'm not crazy I'm not hearing voices in my head but you know what I think if we were to really just say God I want to hear your voice and we're ready to listen he would speak did Philip actually hear an audible voice or was it a great impression? I don't know. I really don't care. But he knows what God is saying to him. And he's acting on what God says, even though it makes no sense to him at the time. Because we've got two big events. Philip, I want you to leave your ministry up here. I know it's successful, but I want you to leave. Then they get on the road, go up to that chariot over there. He's got a driver, probably at least a bodyguard and, and the leader. And I believe he probably had a larger group than that. All right. And he says, I want you to go over there and talk to that man. He's probably, you know, we would have go, uh, God, uh, you know, he's got a, he's got a small, small troop over there, you know, guarding him. You want me to go do what? We question God so often there's no indication that Philip questioned God at all during any of this. He said, all right, God, you're telling me to, you know, you know, all right, God, I've got a good ministry going here, but we'll just leave it in somebody's hands, and I'm going to go and do what you're told. All right, God, you want me to go talk to that guy? Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go talk to him. How many times do we talk ourselves out of doing what God has told us to do because it, by sight it makes no sense? If that's going to be our case, God is not going to talk to us. I agree. Sometimes it would be really nice if God, and I've said this, it would be really, really nice if there was an angel on our shoulder that we got to know his voice, and he says, do this, do that, do this, do that, and made life easy. But God, over and over in the scripture, says the faith, the just shall live by faith. He just speaks enough for us to make us walk by faith. And even in these situations, he's walking by faith. God, it makes no sense. I don't know what this is, but I know your voice, and I know you said to go, so I'm going. God, I'm here. It, you know, uh, this guy's kind of scary to go sp speak to. He's got soldiers there. They got, they've got big swords. They've got spears, whatever it is. And you want me to talk to, you know, picture this. This would be like going up to a senator or a congressperson and just walking past all their guards, all their secret service agents, and walking straight up to them with not being stopped and getting close enough to talk to them. Sounds wrong, right? You said, you said, you tell, go, go near that chariot. 
yeah, there's two places where God talked to him in this one. Um, so we have this situation where he is told on things that just don't make a whole lot of sense. You know, and, and besides which, just getting anywhere near this man is going to alert the guard. Uh, who is this you know, crazy man walking up? And he gets close enough to where he can hear and at, is, is close enough to be able to ask him, do you understand? You know, and he, then he's invited into talk. What a beautiful picture of this. And, you know, and I know I'm extrapolating, but I'm looking at the fact that leaders, you know, leaders in today's world never go anywhere by themselves. Even sub-leaders. If you're, if, you know, if you're up there where you're going to be somebody of great authority, you've got at least one or two bodyguards with you everywhere you go. Because that is what government has always done. Always. And this is when we were talking about Ahab and, you know, going out to look for water. And it says just he and, um, I forgot the name of the, the man, but anyway, uh, went out. It just says the two of them. But you know what? King Ahab didn't go out alone. <laughs> you know, he may have only had six or seven, you know, bodyguards with him, but he did not just go, well, here I am, I'm king. I'm going to ride out in the countryside all by myself. Uh, you know, we just know it would not have happened. <laughs> Even though they didn't name off, but, you know, we know that it would not have happened. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. So here he's seeing somebody important. So there's a whole group of people that are hearing the message of Jesus. I don't remember. One of the people, what, there are groups that say that Candace is a title for the queen of Ethiopia. Um, I think there's more than one in here, but I didn't, I didn't look it up. Uh, open up your strong concordance and see if she's mentioned more than once. Many of these, many of these people are considered titles. And so there is the debate on whether this is Queen Candace or a title for her position. Uh, I'm not going to make an argument either way on this one, so it's... <laughs> but... Uh, My question is, did she have, or her country come in Solomon's time also, like the Queen of Egypt? One of the places that Sheba is considered to be is down there by Ethiopia. Oh, okay. One of the three places that it's considered to be. One of it's way over in India, which is quite possible, too. Yeah. Uh, when you look at the things she brought, it very well could be in that Ethiopian area. Ethiopia has deep ties to uh, the Jewish beliefs. There's a lot of Jewish believers in the Ethiopian area. So this man brings back now Christianity, the fulfillment of the Jewish beliefs down there. Yes, there, there's lots of stories about the Ark of the Covenant being in Ethiopia. Yeah, many, many people are claiming that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia uh, because they believe that the Shulamite wife of Solomon was from that area as well. Lots of, lots of things that get in there that get in speculation, but you know, we don't know for sure. But this man hears the gospel Philip is just snatched away. It, uh, it, to me, this is like, you, you read this and go, and, all right, now I'm all by myself. 
and I really do think the Ethiopian left thinking that he'd been around an angel. You know, I, angel gave me what I needed to hear, and now he's gone. And he leaves rejoicing. He doesn't even think twice about it. It's like, I've, been, I've met an angel and, you know, and heads down to Ethiopia just rejoicing. God loves me so much, he sent me a special, special messenger to give me the gospel message and would have told everybody. You know, uh, Philip, I don't know what Philip felt like when he was all of a sudden in another place. He, he's now at least 30, 40 miles from where he starts. Yeah, how long did it take him to get his bearings? I don't know. Can you imagine all of a sudden you find yourself, uh, could you please tell me where I'm at? <laughs> I'm a little lost. <laughs> what, what town am I in? Where, where am I at? <laughs> but here is, he just ends up in a new place. 20, 30, 40 miles away from where he started. Okay. So we're, we're thinking that Philip's church was in the town of Samaria? It just tells us he preached in Samaria. Doesn't say whether he was, and there's, deba there's debate on whether he was in Samaria, the city, or in the country. And so if you say the country, who knows where he's at, what he started at. This, there is a Caesarea that is up there, so it is possible, because he went to Caesarea, that Caesarea is where he was preaching. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, help us to learn to be as obedient as Philip was to you and to serve you in whatever avenue that you give us to follow you and we just thank you in Jesus name amen listening friends where will you be when you die we ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes and the biggest answer we'll get is I hope I will be in heaven if hope is your answer you don't know God and this is a problem we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God their wages of the sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life if you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.